Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So how's everybody doing? You know, I'm hoping that everybody is doing fine out there, that, you know, life is treating you kind, but um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we need to talk about, right? So we may as well jump into this and get the conversation started. But, you know, it's a few things that I wanted to do um, from the beginning here. And basically... You know, I wanted to acknowledge some people. Um, there have been quite a few people that have um, passed away in the different communities here. And I just wanted to acknowledge a couple of them. So um, a, a gentleman by the name of Donald, um, he passed away. And his wife, Stephanie, they were both active in the Black atheist community. I'm just not saying their last names, but, you know, our condolences and, you know, goes out to them and if they need anything, just reach out and let us know. And another person who passed away, Judy, Judy Copeland, I'll just say her last name, but, you know, Judy is going to be missed. You know, she is missed. And Julie and I, you know, we were very, very good friends. And, you know, it kind of caught me by surprise because I found out that she had passed away when I was doing the last show a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I just couldn't believe what I was saying. So as soon as I was done with the show, automatically I just dialed her number. And I got no answer, but, you know, I reached out. And, you know, the family responded and, you know, it's hard. You know, Judy used to do some research for us. And besides that, she was just a great person. One of the sweetest people I've ever met. And as we talked, we found out that we had a lot in common. You know, we went to the same high school. Well, she was a high schooler. And me and my group of people, we were the 11, 12-year-olds running around taking all the high school classes. And so she remembered us running around all over the place. <laughs> and um, we used to just, you know, exchange stories and talk about some of the things that happened. But like I said, I'll miss her because whenever I would call her, she would pick up the phone and say, how's my Kimmy? You know, or, you know, she called me. I'm like, Hello? And she would say that she's going to be missed. You know, she's she's a great person, wonderful person, just sweet and trustworthy and all of those things. And it came as a shock to believe everybody. And so, you know, she's going to be missed. I made sure to send some flowers to her from you know, Black Free Thinkers family and the POCBF family. And I, I just don't even really know what to say because 
as a humanist, freethinker, atheist, non-believer, all of these different categories that people put themselves in outside of religion, you know, dealing with death is not something that's really talked about very much. And I feel that, you know, this is something that we need to talk about because it's just as a part of life. So, again, I'm going to miss Judy. I'm already missing her. And the most interesting thing about all of that is the fact that I was supposed to go visit her this past spring. But I wasn't able to do so because Mama passed away. So we had to bury um, my grandmother, right? So I wasn't able to get to her. And, you know, I felt really bad. And we were trying to make some plans for this time of the year. And it just didn't work out. But we had big plans for my visit there. And, (laughs) you know, we just sitting back and laughing and thinking about some of the things that we wanted to do. And so she used to always talk about her nosy neighbors. And so basically we were saying we were going to give them something to talk about, like them videos and stuff and put it on YouTube. And we were just going to have a really, really good time, just have some fun, right? And basically, you know, <laughs> We were going to have a relay race down the block, right? And it turned into a dilemma because we couldn't figure out who was supposed to call 911 when we both fell out. (laughs) And, you know, the other person carrying the oxygen machine, but neither one of us have one of those battery-powered oxygen machines. So after we figured out we have no oxygen nor any strength to call 911, we decided that wouldn't be a good idea. And so... (laughs) <laughs> you know, this is just us having fun, being silly. And so we were saying we would rent a couple of those electric scooters and chase each other around the block with super soakers and things. So, you know, we were just going to have a little bit of fun, go to the mall, drop fake lottery tickets and sit there and watch people pick them up, scratch them off and realize that <laughs> that they had not won anything. So, I don't know. We were just going to have some fun and enjoy ourselves. And, you know, I'm just sad that she's gone. One of the very few people that I have met via social media who was true to their word, you know, and, and just sweet, you know, very, very understanding, extremely intelligent. So, I don't know, but, you know, having to deal with that, I mean, you know, I was really, really hurt about that, but, you know, I just, I want to send out, like I said, love and condolences and tranquility and all of those things to her family, because, they were caught by surprise as well. So, you know, I think we're all devastated by losing such a wonderful person. So, anyway, I just wanted to make sure that I acknowledged her. And, you know, I don't know. 
not even quite sure how I'm processing the whole situation. Because now that I look at death a little bit differently than I did when I was a believer. So, I don't know, you guys. So, anyway, we're going to go on, but I really, really wish Judy was here so we could talk about Trump and how he won and how I told y'all. So, I don't like to do I told you so, but I told you so, you know, and we told you guys that this was going to happen, that he was going to win, and he did. This is the main reason why last year we kept fussing, saying, you know, it's not funny. This is not funny at all. And then he won the primary. And people were still laughing. But he got the last laugh. And so we need to take ownership of some of, you know, what just happened. And you have people out here, you know, that that basically say they believe that Hillary was a bigger threat than Trump. And then you have people over here saying Trump was a bigger threat than Hillary. And, you know, interestingly enough, the night that he won, that Tuesday evening, I was on the phone with a friend and we were watching the results coming in. And we were both just sitting there stunned, just like a lot of those pundits. And we both got off the phone. My stomach was hurting, and I was like, oh, I can't deal with this. So I turned my phone on silent, and I went to bed because I already knew what the results were going to be. And, you know, people were calling me all night, and I just I didn't feel like talking. So the next morning, got up, watched it again, saw that they won, and was totally outdone. And it's just the whole situation, the entire situation is interesting. But I called it, you know, if you go back and you listen to last week's, well, two weeks ago, the last show, in which I was talking about heterosexual, cisgendered white men and hope and change from their perspective. And I knew, I knew Trump was born to win. And there were people out there who were warning us warning you all to let you know what was getting ready to happen. But most people blew it off. They figured, no, he doesn't have a chance in hell. And you were saying, yes, he does. And so, yes, he did. And now, yes, they will. And it's so interesting because he's already backtracking on some of the promises that he made. And like I said, 80 to 90% of the promises that he made He's not going to be able to keep them, you know, but there were some promises that he made to the black community and his new deal for blacks, and he's going to give, you know, the FOP, you know, the Fraternal Order of Police, who made a donation towards him, to him, he's going to give them more police powers, give the police departments more gear, you know, militarize them even more. So that's coming, and he was saying that he was going to provide more police officers for black communities, and that would include Latino communities, too. And, you know, and I was sitting there, and I'm reading this, and basically I'm like, he's, you know, basically pretty much declaring martial law 
you know, in a lot of our communities. And since Chicago seems to be one of his very favorite places to talk about, hmm, this is going to be really interesting because, you know, we have our problems in Chicago. You know, what he's saying that he wants to do, we need to be prepared. And it's not only Chicago, but just across the board, you know, all across America and predominantly black and brown communities, you know, we're getting ready to come up against quite a bit. So you need to be prepared. And, you know, what I'll say to you is, you know, at this point, we have nothing to lose. There's really nothing that you should be afraid of because either way it goes, we were in trouble. Okay, so like I said, one is going to screw us with KY Jelly, the other one, not so much. But, um, you know, no KY Jelly. And so, hmm, you know, my assessment of the situation is when Donald Trump was saying that the media was being dishonest, you know, everybody thought that he was talking about the media being dishonest about the things that he had allegedly done. And that was part of it. But I think the other part that he was talking about was the media basically were looking at some of the same polls that he saw, but they were twisting the meaning of them. And so, you know, and he, you know, I'm pretty sure he felt like that was in an effort to keep his voters at home, the people who support him, you know, to discourage them. And basically, you know, there are a whole bunch of things that the media did not cover. You know, they didn't talk about how the Republicans were, you know, basically purging voters lists and how a lot of color, namely black people, how they were being purged from the voting rolls and they weren't able to do so, especially in states like North Carolina. And if you all remember when the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, Section 5, immediately places like North Carolina and Texas, they immediately filed lawsuits to be able to make changes, you know, statewide, you know, as far as voters are concerned. And, you know, there was pushback from that, but not enough. And I really need you guys to go back and do some research on that to get a better understanding of what happened and why, okay, and how they were able to get, you know, kind of, you know, get over with that. But most importantly, for those of you who put any type of trust in these media, you know, news pundits, you all need to be asking them why they did not cover that. Why they, why didn't they cover basically Donald Trump and the Republican Party basically pushing black and brown people off the voting rolls. Those are very legitimate questions. And the media is not, you know, talking about it or answering them. You know, they are definitely culpable in in what happened. You know, and so you have people out here who are saying that, well, you know, maybe Donald Trump is good for black people. We don't know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, at this point, some of us, we 
we're looking at this and we're trying to figure out what's happening, but when you have a candidate that's being endorsed by the Klan and alt-right and <laughs> putting out there, you know, triggers and dog whistles and all of these things. And the thing with Donald Trump is, you know, yeah, this is a game. He wanted to win the presidency. But part of me thinks that, you know, this is just a big old game to him. So it's going to be interesting because he's not going to be able to follow through on everything that he had promised to his constituents there. So what's going to happen is they're going to get angry and they're going to take it out on some of the most vulnerable groups in this country. And the number one vulnerable group, and so because they can't necessarily take it out on him, they're going to take it out on us. And what was so interesting is that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. But Donald Trump won the electoral college votes. Now, for those of you that are interested in history, again, with the last show, we were talking about the Three-Fifths Compromise, right? And so the Three-Fifths Compromise ties into the electoral college and how that was put in place to... (laughs) to, you know, kind of, you know, change some of the results of of voting, you know, or if the popular vote came in, that if it was someone that they didn't necessarily want in office, that the electoral college votes could basically, you know, suppress the popular vote, which is why you hear many of us saying that the electoral college has to go. You know, and we've, I've been saying that for decades, you know, we should have gotten rid of that a long time ago. And so, you know, go do your history, go and look this information up. It's out there. You need to know what it's and so you can move forward. You know, and I'll I'll talk about the electoral college, you know, a little bit later because again, with with that particular institution, it is about white supremacy and sexism. And you know, I'm, I'm talking about white Christians today, but black Christians, I'm coming down your road. I mean, I've been promising you guys this, and you know, I'm on my way. And so, ha, huh, it's just so much to talk about. And again, last season we had the callers calling in. You know, that's one of the reasons why I kept bringing up the 13th Amendment, which ties into the mat situation, which ties into the crime bill, which ties into Bill Clinton and Ronald Reagan, and how all of this, you know, has been set up. And one of the things that I told you immediately after the Supreme Court struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, I have been telling you guys to pay attention because Section 2 is next. So you need to go and do some research about that as well, get a better understanding as to what Section 2 is, what it does, how it functions, and how it's going to be detrimental, you know, to Black communities. And it's not just Black communities that are being, you know, disenfranchised. You know, you have elderly people who are being disenfranchised. You have students that are being disenfranchised. You have disabled people who are being disenfranchised. And so, 
you need to really understand how that works. And the reason why I'm putting students in there is because if you go and you look it up, there were some issues with students voting. So they were trying to put on the books that basically, you know, you had to vote where you live, your registered residence, not your college, you know, dorm room or apartment. And so there were some difficulties with that. And, you know, basically, it's important for you guys to understand this. And you need to understand how all of this plays into white supremacy. And again, um, just looking at all of this, you know, you have some people out here who are saying that the only people who should be able to vote are landowners, you know, and again, it's racism. It's definitely tied to it. So, you guys, I just think it's important that you understand where we are and where we stand in this country, what laws were put in place, you know, understand the three-fifth compromise or the three-fifth clause, whatever you want to call it. Um, hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, go and check that out and see how all of this falls in place. And like I said, you know, we'll talk about a little bit of it a little later. But in addition to that, you know, the electoral college and the purpose of, you know, of its existence and how it disenfranchised people. You know, I need you guys to go and look up the Southern strategy as well. That is extremely important for you all to understand because what we just experienced was the Southern the Southern strategy remixed. So they implemented that. And again, you know, you have some of these people out here who are not being as honest as they should have been with the American voters. Because, you know, what I need you guys to understand is not only did the Republicans win the presidency, but they still control the Senate they still control the House of Representatives. They control the governorships and, you know, most of the states in the union, you know, and, you know as well as the state legislature. You need to understand that. So this is where we are in history. And I just want you all to kind of grasp the magnitude of this situation and what we're getting ready to face. And so, you know, you have people out here who are attempting to blame black folks for not going out to vote, for not being enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton. You have folks out here blaming white women, you know, even though they were culpable, but quite a few white women voted for Donald Trump. And so, there are people out here who are trying to understand how that is so. Why would they do that? And again, if you look at what was happening in that particular race, you should easily be able to pick out the patriarchy. You should easily be able to pick out the misogyny. You know, in addition to that, the homophobia. And for those of you who do not necessarily understand 
you know, how homophobia intersects with these issues. We can do some research. As a matter of fact, I want you all to go out and look up some information about how homophobia is basically used, it's in line with sexism. So, you know, it's, it's a weapon. You need to go and you need to understand these things. And it's really a lot more, but, you know, with Hillary Clinton, you know, when she was giving her confession speech, she was doing everything she could not to just choke up. And I get it. I get it. And so someone is sending this little meme around and you know, and I've talked about this with friends, you know, as far as Hillary Clinton and what she was trying to do, what she was trying to achieve, why she was problematic, you know, and then also with the patriarchal aspect of it. Again, they were using the scriptures to say that a woman is not to have rule over a man. You know, all of these different things that, you know, that, that factor into what we just experienced. But I'm going to go ahead and read this meme to you guys. And it says, for the first time in history, Hillary Clinton knows what it's like to be a black woman. You can have 30 years experience for a job you're overqualified for, and they still pick a white man with no experience. Someone send her a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. And that's exactly how I feel about that situation there. And many of us that have worked corporate America and academia, we have, we've had to deal with that same type of scenario. And, you know, if it wasn't an inexperienced white man, it was someone who was somewhat experienced, but they were good friends and they promote their friends up and not the way because basically their friend would slow down production you know, slow down productivity, slow down advancement, so they promote them up and out of the way. And so some of you that may have experienced this, you know, on the job or what have you, basically, you know, the reason why they won't promote you is because you're good at your job. And they can't afford to let you go to another department. So, you know, it's you know, I just want you guys to pay attention to what's happening. And one of the things that I definitely want to bring to your attention, and again, Black Church, like I said, I'm coming down your aisle because you all have the bully pulpit. You get up there and you talk to your parishioners about, you know, why you're against abortion why you're against, you know, marriage equality, why you're against LGBTQ. But you will not use that same bully pulpit to talk about racism, to talk about sexism, to talk about disenfranchised and disadvantaged Black people. You don't use that pulpit to talk about the, you know, the the educational system being an utter failure. You don't use that bully pulpit to talk about, you know, the lack of black businesses in a neighborhood. You don't use that bully pulpit to talk about these wealthy white landowners, you know, with their slums 
and not making repairs needed for where your parishioners live. You know, you don't talk about the infrastructure, all the potholes in the area, all of these. We don't talk about any of that. But you want to talk about abortion, marriage equality, and things that it really doesn't matter in the face of the tragedies that that plague the lives of your of your members. And it's so interesting because a lot of these black churches got their talking points from white churches. And so we're going to talk about white Christian America, you know, and racism American style. And so all of this, you know, it plays hand in hand. But I'll just, you know, read what I wrote for today's show. And this is what you can find it, you know, right there in the description. And it says, please join us as we explore racism American style. No one does racism the way that America does racism. And basically it says, tune in and give us a call, send us a note, share your story or the story of someone you know. And so right here I wrote, Christianity and the Bible have been used to perpetuate and justify slavery, systemic institutional racism, raw deal or new deal, Jim Crow, segregation, mob action against communities of color, poverty, wealth inequality, and more. The system is not and never was broken. It was built this way. We need to accept the fact of life. White Christian Americans or white American Christians tend to cling to their guns and Bibles, especially in times of trouble and uncertainty. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. once said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. The religious right was formed to protect segregation. White nationalists will tell you that their organizations are Christian-based. The Black Panther Party and the Black Lives Matter movements are labeled hate groups and are being attacked from every direction. However, the Klan is still in existence and allowed to continue with their campaign of terror. White Christians are behaving more white than Christian. How does that work? And so many of them are choosing race and culture over faith. And although they would try to deny that, you know, there are many different things that, you know, they would say. And they would talk about, you know, religious freedoms and religious persecution and this war on, you know, Christianity. And basically those are just coded phrases for white supremacy. So, you know, where do we go from here? You know, what's what's really happening? What's really going on? And so I just think that it's important that, you know, we look these things over and talk about them. You know, um, yeah, just talk about these there's so much that needs to be unpacked. So, guys, you know, you have folks running around saying that it'll be okay. You have folks, you know, running around saying, oh, just relax. Um, <laughs> things are going to work out. 
and I just look at them. I'm just looking at them, and especially when I see white people saying this and trying to white-explain this to the rest of us. Hmm. (laughs) You know, there are some issues here. There are definitely some major, major issues. And no white explain is ever going to be able to sue people who have been marginalized and othered and all of these things. There's nothing you can really say. We're in 2016, and the Klan is still marching. We're in 2016, and the Klan is still calling itself a Christian organization. We're in 2016, and anytime you have a black person attempt to be a leader in the black community, and they're deemed as thugs, they're deemed all, all of this craziness. And, you know, the Black Panther Party was shut down. They're trying to shut down Black Lives Matter. But yet the Klan is still running around talking about A, B, C, D, and E, and they're still allowed to do it. I don't understand. I don't get it. You know, so it's like, you know, what's really going on? So, yeah, you know, you guys, I'm just laughing. And when I say laughing, it's not a humorous, it's not a funny situation. This is not amusing. There's nothing entertaining about it whatsoever. And, you know, I had put up on my wall. I said, I talked about how survival is an act of resistance. And I got a comment from someone, and they were like, when are we ever going to have a chance to live? And all I could say to myself was, boom, exactly. When is that ever going to happen? I mean, we've just been surviving all this time for the most part. When when do we get to live? And I just think that's extremely important. It's a very, very valid question. So, guys, um, like I was saying earlier about the Southern strategy, what the Republicans were able to achieve with this last election, it was it was like I said, it was the Southern strategy remix, and it just went over the head of a lot of people. And for some of the ones who saw this coming and saw what was happening, they tried to warn the American public. However, most people ignored it. And and one of the reasons is because you all took Donald Trump as a joke. And I know for a fact that for over a year, Raina and I, we kept trying to tell you guys, this is not funny. He can win. And so here we go. Here we are today. But, you know, again, in regards to the such, you know, Southern strategy, this has been in place for well over 20 years as far as what we just experienced. And again, you know, as James Baldwin says, 
you know, white people are, you know, caught up in a history that they don't know or understand. And that just goes beyond white people, too. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons why we have this show, so that we can kind of educate you on some of these things. And I'm being educated as, you know, as well, because some of this stuff I had no idea. And when I talk about some of the things on the show and I talk to some of these people one-on-one, they will say they never knew about this. They never knew that that happened. They never knew how it was all tied together. And they were shocked. Now, mind you, most of these people are white people who I'm having that particular conversation with. And this is why I feel that the default for white people basically is all white people are racist until they do the work to unlearn some things, until they do the work to become unbiased, until they do the work to, you know, to to factor out a lot of different discrimination and, you know, until they start challenging the systemic and institutionalized racism. They have to do the work. This is why we say that in order for us to kill white supremacy, in this country that it has to be done by white people because they create it and they perpetuate that very same system. Not to say that we're not part of the problem. Yes, we help them to perpetuate systemic and institutionalized racism. And I really want to do a show on that, but I know, so anyway, we will we will get to that, you know, because I toss that in every once in a while. And sometimes I have to pull back because I'm like, are they ready for that? Are they ready to have that conversation? Hell, am I ready to have that conversation? So anyway, you know, the next several years should be interesting, but this is one of the reasons why we stress to people that it's extremely important that you get out during those midterm elections. All of this plays a part. All of this plays a part. So, again, I want you guys to go and look up the Electoral College with the three-fifths compromise or the three-fifths clause. See how all of that ties in. I actually want you to also go and do some research on how homophobia, you know, is used as a weapon for sexism. Just, just, I know some of you are looking at the phone or looking at your TV, your computer, and going, what the hell is she talking about? Look it up. You know, homophobia is used as a, we- as a weapon to perpetuate sexism. You know, but it's a number of things that it perpetuates, but I really want you to focus on the sexism part. So I'm just looking at it. So here we go. I mean, you know, I've been reading the different stories all over the internet, and there have been well over 200 reports of violence since Donald Trump was declared president-elect. You know, you have people clowning at these colleges and universities, and, you know, you, you just, it's, racial incidents are becoming more um, 
commonplace, I guess. We'll see. Maybe this is just excitement for the first one or two weeks. I don't know. You know, but we have to be prepared one way or the other. And there have been many incidents, you know, across this country that and that have been reported. Okay. But, you know, one of the things that I definitely want you guys to go out and I guess everybody keeps telling me I need to start posting all of this stuff again. And I guess I'll get to it, but I'm going to post this article from Democracy Now! And the title of it is, This is Voting in 2016. Armed Intimidation Squads Purged Roles, 868 fewer polling stations. I remember talking about how they shut down a lot of the polling places in Arkansas and Alabama. And, you know, they were primarily in black and brown communities making it almost impossible for some people to vote. And again, earlier, I touched on how you have people out here who are scapegoating other people and claiming that they're the reason why Trump won. And again, you had some of these alt-right people, you know, driving around and following church buses and, you know, um, sold to the pole or Hold to the soul, not to the soul to the pole. That was, a, you know, a program that a lot of churches used. They would use the church van to pick people up and take them to the polling places so that they can vote. And so you had this, you know, this one ignoramus who made a video showing that he followed, you know, the, the van to the to the to the pole. And it was a lot of that happening in an attempt to intimidate black voters. You know, there are a lot of things happening, you know, people standing outside, you know, walking around with their weapons. It was just, it was ridiculous. And then you had people showing up who didn't have to deal with any of those things, only to find out that they could not vote because for some reason they were purged off of the voting rolls. But then you have another set of people who, they don't even know how to register to vote. They don't even know how to do that. You have people that live out in these country areas or, you know, even in the city, hell. I mean, and they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They have not been educated on these things. You have people who, you know, are disabled, who had no way to get there. Just a number of things, you know, and even with some of these states that have changed the voting requirements, some people don't have the money to get a state-issued ID. You know, some people don't have their birth certificates. You all got to remember, we still have a lot of people who are alive who, you know, basically they don't have birth certificates. What they have, what are those things called? Get them from the church. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's a lot of them that has that, you know, instead of a birth certificate. And, you know, we have to remember all of these things because you have a lot of folks out here trying to scapegoat others. You know, you have people out here pointing the finger at Black Lives Matter, saying that had we not started, you know, the protesting, had the blacks and browns, and even the red people, and, you know, had we not been protesting, then white people never would have gotten angry, and there would be no need for Donald Trump. 
And I sit back and I look at those arguments and I just shake my head because whether we had people out here protesting and challenging the system, that, that, that has no bearing on Donald Trump and his run for the presidency. Donald Trump, in my opinion, ran for the presidency because he wanted to basically give the middle finger to Barack Obama. You know, and we've all heard what he has had to say about the protesters. And so this is one of the reasons why I'm telling you guys, you need to pay attention. Because, you know, one place in particular, Chicago, Donald Trump always talks about Chicago. And Chicago was the only city in the nation that shut Trump down. He did not get to speak here. You know, well over 10,000 you know, students and, and people showed up just like the Wednesday night after, you know, Donald Trump was elected president. It was a very organic movement that started in front of Trump Tower, downtown Chicago. And at first, it you know, they only saw a couple of hundred people. And then they looked around and they said, okay, maybe a couple of thousand people here. Next thing they knew, it was a groundswell of people. And it was well over 10,000 people who marched in Chicago alone Wednesday night. And if this, and, and not just Chicago, it's just across the country. And if this is any indication as to what is to come and what is getting ready to happen in this country, I strongly advise you guys to have some type of contingency plan. And what I mean by that is, with these white nationalists, you know, and one thing I do want to say, you know, because it's been a lot of activity on college campuses, there have, there has also been activity at the high school campuses too. And I'm going to talk about an incident in which at one school they had some of the children walking down the hall with their Trump signs saying white power. So basically, you know, that, that, festering infection that has always been a part of American life. Donald Trump ripped the scab right off of it. It's always been there. It's just that it wasn't polite to talk about it anymore. And when people of color, black people, would talk about these things, we would be, you know, charged with being angry. Why are you people so angry? Why are you so mad? You could still be in Africa. You know, you're lucky you're here in America, and you're not in Africa anymore. Then you have another set of people, you know, saying, we're sending y'all asses back. And so I'm just looking at it, and I don't even really know what to tell y'all, other than the fact that this is real life. This is not a reality show. Reality shows are pretty much scripted, for those of you who don't know. And just looking at this whole thing, even when we were going through it, I, I told several people that it felt surreal, you know, but it's the real deal. And we need to see it as that. You know, this is not a joke. This is real life. Real lives are being affected by this. And especially when you have people who need to check off 
a number of different boxes. So if you're black, Latino, Asian, Native American, one of those boxes. If you're a woman, you check that box. If you're LGBTQ, you check that box. You know, if you're disabled, you check that box. You know, and many, many more. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? What are they getting ready to do? You know, if you're a feminist, check that box. Because, again, with Donald Trump, and I remember talking about this specifically right after Brexit. And I was talking about how Donald Trump was using some of the strategy from the, you know, Brexit playbook. And that's exactly what he did. And you had people who wanted to call and argue, well, how do you know? Because I read, asshole. That's how I know. See, you know, my life does not revolve revolve around my ideology. And so people need to understand that. You know, my life does not revolve around my ideology. No, it doesn't. It's a part of it. It's a factor. But... You know, the the way that things were playing out in Europe, specifically Western Europe, we knew that that was going to happen here. And so we warned you. We told you this was going to happen. That's all I can say. Because, see, now we have to live this. We have to learn how to navigate through this. We don't know what's about to happen. But it's better to be prepared. It's better to be prepared and not meet contingency plan than to not have a contingency plan and get caught out there with your ass hanging out. And so, again, it would be to your benefit to go and look up that information about the electoral college and why it exists, and then also research as to why it needs to be abolished. But that's not going to happen. So, you know, I just say we got to do what we got to do. And so, yeah. So, yeah, you need to, you know, for those of you, you know, send a tweet out to your, your favorite people that you watch on television news. You know, Ari Melber or Joy Reid or, you know, um, a number of different people and ask them why they did not cover the Voting Rights Act and the laws that were being put on the books. You know, the people in the community who are your political leaders, the ones that are accountable to you, you should be asking them, why didn't they sound the clarion? So, you know, these are important. These are important. And this information that um, that we share with you all on this store, this should empower you. Because, again, trust but verify. I always say you got to go back and you know, verify all of this information and come up with answers for yourself. 
because I don't necessarily want you quoting me per se. You know, I want you to go and read and research and understand these things for yourself and how it applies to your life and how it impacts those, you know, that you love. And so, uh, all I got to say is there's a whole bunch of us, you know, looking around and we're going, what's next? But, yeah, go out and look up Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act so that you can get a better understanding as to why that's going to be attacked and stricken next and the consequences of that. And so, basically, you know, when all of this was happening with the voter suppression, what it did was it it basically made it easier for Trump to win because a lot of minorities were denied the right to vote. And see, this is the thing. Another category is class because class is one of the major factors in this. And so working class and poor whites are disenfranchised as well. And that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump won. And so, you know, what's so interesting about that particular dynamic is a lot of working class and poor whites, not not all of them, but, you know, you had your few, voted for Barack Obama. Why? Because he was anti-establishment. Donald Trump, because he was anti-establishment. Bill Clinton, when he first ran, he was anti-establishment. So there's a rebellion going on across the board in this country. And usually people pick out one particular area. You know, I like to touch on all of them because I really want you all to go out and to get a better understanding that for the most part, we have more in common. You know, we're angry about a lot of the same things, except, you know, the media doesn't report, you know, um, you know, a lot of this. And again, you know, what happened with the Voting Rights Act, it definitely had an impact on this election. So, you know, again... It's, it's a lot happening. You know, pay attention to the reports that are coming in from all over the country. Um, there was a woman in Louisiana, and she was abused by three white men. They basically, they waited till she was, you know, they were across the street. And when she was trying to cross the street, they said, fuck your black life. One of them yelled that to her. How about that? Fuck your black life. And, you know, uh, a student in Boston said that they heard a fellow white student say, this is their punishment for eight years of black people. How about that? People, you know, basically graffiti saying, black lives doesn't matter and neither does your vote. You know. I want you to listen to this. I want you to feel this shit. You know, in Washington State, you know, a teacher reported that build a wall was chanted in the school cafeteria. This past Wednesday during lunchtime, 
And the students also chanted, if you aren't born here, pack your bags. And there are going to be a lot more, you know, incidents like this. I mean, even before he won, you know, you saw some people, some videos of white people yelling at black people, demanding that they give them their seats on the train or, you know, whatever transportation. Come on now. You know, you had white, you have white men basically trying to snatch off, you know, Muslim women hijabs. Is that okay? You know, and a lot of these, you know, like I said, anti-woman, that's the sexism, anti-black, we already know about that, phobic or, you know, homophobia, a lot of shit is going on. So the question is, with this particular president, you know, elect, what is he going to do to deal with this and to address it and to stop it? You know, you have to do more than disavow. Is he going to recognize civil rights? Is he going to right some of the wrongs that have been in place? And from the words that came out of his mouth, from some of the people who have had to deal with him in the past, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. And so it's just really interesting when I see all of these pundits and talking heads, but not only them, but, you know, white people that, you know, I'm familiar with in one capacity or another, they're out here and they're saying, oh, it'll be okay that can't happen, that it never happened in America. You've been saying that for a long time. And guess what? That shit did happen. And it happened more than once. And while I know I have a lot of people who, you know, get pissed off because I call out progressive liberal whites, a lot of this is your fault. Number one, you didn't speak up, you didn't say anything. And you want to tell me not all white people. But when you're trying to convince me that you're anti-racist, most of the time you end up demonstrating to me that you have more bias than what you are admitting to. And then you get upset and angry, and then we got to deal with those salty water, that salty tears of white folks. We got to do better. We got to do better. And so, huh, you know, I know someone who lives in Maple Grove, Minnesota. And basically, you know, it was some pro-Trump graffiti written in the school bathrooms. And these were schools, the highest, I mean, well, the oldest is a 12-year-old in these schools. So this had to be elementary schools. 12 years old and younger. And they're writing racist shit? Really? And you have people out here trying to convince me and others that, you know, these millennials, you know, are more tolerant. Bullshit. And that's why I said when, you know, the next day when I felt like getting on social media, I talked about how this post-racial colorblind trope or narrative that they have out there is bullshit. 
always has been. And then what's so interesting, you know, I overheard a couple of conversations myself, you know, because this week I got out and about, I had to deal with some things. And I heard a couple of white people saying, well, it's the violence aspect of these, you know, these protesters and activists and organizers. Why do they have to be so violent? And then they give a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. And then they want to say that Martin Luther King, you know, and, and those in the civil rights activists then, that they weren't, you know, violent. And I've had to break that down on a number of occasions, not only on social media, but in real life. And I shut those conversations down. But not after getting looks of death or being, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. And that's the good thing about everybody having these damn expensive-ass toys that we walk around with that we call phones. See, now you can make people Google it immediately. And then they look it up. And they read it. And then they just want to walk away. Because now you've destroyed one of their weapons. And that's why I say that these shows are important, that you learn from it. Now, you can't just sit here and listen to this show and think that you have all the answers. Baby, I don't even have all the answers. And I'm learning this stuff as I go along as well. So don't think I just, you know, have all this shit in my head. Now, you know, I do sponge a lot of information. But, no, you know, I have to prepare for this show. And... You know, it's, it's important. Not just listen to this show. I want you to go and do some reading. You know, and that was one of the great things about when I used to post a lot of information. You know, I would post things, you know, that would, you know, lead up to the show, but as well as current things. And it's important. And so what's so interesting is here's another report from Colorado, and it says, Death to Diversity. And, ha. Huh, and it was written on a banner displayed at the school library, right? Um, and so they said that it was, you know, another report that came out saying that white male students were going up to women saying that it was now legal for them to grab them by the pussy, right? This is what we're dealing with. When you have white people walking up to black people on a train or the bus and demanding that they get up and give them their seat. And it's usually a black woman that they attack. And these, and in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, no one tried to help them. But some of the Muslim women who were having their head scarves or the hijabs, you know, snatched, no one helped them. And it was this one woman who was talking about how when she was on the platform for the train and, you know, white guy said, get ready to pack your bags when she was walking by. And she said normally she would confront them, but this time she said nothing because she didn't want to end up on the train tracks because she knew that nobody would help her. Now, what kind of shit is this? You know, people are being assaulted, people are being harassed, people are being intimidated. White people, white allies, non-African identified allies, this is the type of shit that you can be, that you can confront. You want to know what you can do? 
when you see shit like that happening, you cannot sit by, stand by being quiet. Just like that incident at the Starbucks in Seattle, where the white guy spit on that black woman and was calling her a nigger bitch. And the white people were silent and acting as though it never fucking happened. And what's so interesting is when we talk about these things, you know, especially in the past, and we would bring this up to some of our so-called white friends or white allies, they wouldn't believe us. And let me tell you, I've said on this show numerous occasions, if your white friends, your white allies, your white whatevers, if they don't believe you, that is not your friend. That is not your ally. But since everybody has cameras and phones now and they can take the video, you know, some of the white people are getting it, but most of them do not. They just don't get it. And it's not that they don't, they don't want to get it. And they don't give a damn. Why? Because they still have their white privilege. And then that's why you hear them saying, oh, well, black people have to stop the racism in this country. How? We've been doing that or trying to do that from the very beginning. And so, you know, like I said, you got to pay attention. You got to say something, especially when it comes to other white people. You know, and what's interesting is, is that even though we're dealing with this and is there going to be more incidents? Hell, here's one here. You know, this, this. a gentleman who had moved to the U.S. from El Salvador was gassing up his car, and a white guy in his 40s said to him, I hope you are putting in enough gas to take you back to your country. And the guy said it took a lot of self-control to not jump out and punch the dude. You know, and some white teenagers were driving recklessly through the school parking lot. And, you know, I guess they were in a big truck, and it had a whole bunch of Trump stickers that you can barely see the bumper. It had the Confederate flag on it, and they were driving in circles, and they were saying, deport the muzzies, the fags, hang the niggers. These are your children. But you want us to believe that we live in a post-racial, colorblind America. You know, and it's so interesting because, you know, a lot of this has always been there. You know, people were just angry because they couldn't come out and call us niggers. Or, you know, or, or call people, you know, all these terrible names. And, oh, yeah, Jewish people, you know, the honorary ethnic white folks. Jewish people, they don't like y'all either. Just thought I'd let you know. You know, and this is just the beginning. So what do we do? I don't know. And that's why I'm digging back into history to see how certain things were dealt with, but basically it all boils down to a lot of these people will get away with it. They're able to get away with it now. And if we have a president-elect and an administration that will turn an eye or turn their head and look the other way, 
or encourages it, you know, <sighs> Sheriff Joe Arpaio lost the election in Arizona. This is the guy that made the tent cities for the prisoners, you know, uh, basically turned their underwear pink and just all kinds of just horrible things that were going on under Chef, Chef Chief Joe. So he's gone. And somebody was saying that Donald Trump may make Chief Joe or Sheriff Joe, whatever his name is, but the Joe dude from Arizona, him or Sheriff Clark from Wisconsin there, that's the black dude that hates Black Lives Matter and any of these grassroots community activist organizations, he may make them, you know, put them over the Department of Justice. You know, he may put that Bratton guy who was one of Giuliani's, you know, right-hand men, you know, in New York. What are you going to do? I mean, there was an incident in Chicago most recently over in Mount Greenwood, which is over there in the Beverly area, close to the um, Evergreen Mall, right? And so I don't really want to get into it, but look up the hashtag Joshua Bill, J-O-S-H-U-A-B-E-A-L, and what happened. And so what happened with Black Lives Matter Chicago is they went over there to family and to escort the family to their vehicles because those of us that live in Chicago, we know that Mount Greenwood is a sundown town. And these people were not from Chicago, not all of them, but, you know, they weren't from Chicago and we knew what they were about to face. So people went over there to protect them, and you had folks, you know, trying to claim that they were over there protesting. No, you know, and just a lot of stuff that, you know, that has not been covered by the newspaper. And I'm not going to go through all of that, but what I will say is some of the residents from that area, the police had to confiscate bats, knives, and a number of things. Just because someone wanted to walk someone else to their car and make sure that they got out of the situation safely. And that's all I'm really going to say about that for right now. But hashtag Joshua Bill, B as in Bravo, E A L. Look it up. You know, but. It's just crazy. You got people yelling at Filipinos and Asians, telling them that it's time for them to leave. And what's so interesting about a lot of these nationalist, racist fuckers that are telling, you know, people that they need to leave is that they don't know the history. You know, after the slaves were so-called emancipated, you know, a lot of Chinese people were brought to this country to work, to work you know, in the fields to work to do a lot of things. Same thing with, you know, a lot of Latinos. You know, Latinos, Hispanic, Mestizos, they aren't all the same thing. They all mean something differently. And so, you know, you have you have all of this happening. 
and you have people walking around afraid, you know, afraid and disappointed. And, you know, if you're Muslim, you know, there's a lot coming your way. But what I can say is if you pay attention, generally they antagonize and harass Muslim women. And they don't they do it to the Muslim men too, but not quite as much. Why? Because Muslims, for the most part, will fight back. They don't want that. They're aiming for the most vulnerable groups. And the most vulnerable group, black people, you know, and over at the university, you know, this is just, you know, some of the college students, you know, and they were adding students to conversations. One was called nigger lynching. Another one, mud men. Another one, Trump is law. You know, and someone created a daily lynching calendar. Come on. I'm just, am I the only one seeing this shit? Is this okay? You know, and I'm just, I'm going to post some of this other stuff that's happening because, see, I need for you all to understand. Just understand how what we're dealing with and what we're seeing now, how it's directly tied to September 11th, and understand what, you know, one of the factors that helps to fuel this is the Islamophobia. And there's a lot more to it, you know, it's not that simple, but, you know, you got to pay attention. And on the last show, I briefly mentioned about Red Scare and McCarthyism and how a lot of that was used to overshadow the civil rights black power movement. And I really didn't get a chance to go into, you know, super detail about it. And I still won't today, but, you know, I, I put it in context, but I'll add a little bit more to it. So what happened during the 50s and 60s with the Red Scare, you know, they started labeling a lot of these activists and organizers and sympathizers. They started labeling them socialists and communists. So they were able to use that particular narrative and trope to basically label these folks. And it's happening again now. And I just purchased a book I haven't even taken it out the envelope, but let's see here. I'll go to my little Amazon account here. Because I think I gave you all the name of the book a couple of weeks ago when I did my last show. So, but yeah, you know, you're having all of this and they're setting the stage. And all I have to tell you guys or say to you guys is that you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to what's happening. All right. So I found a book, and I'm clicking on it so I can give you the name of the author, too. The name of the book is Black Struggle, Red Scare, Segregation, and Anti-Communism in the South, 1948-1968. And the author's name is Jeff R. Woods. Again, Jeff R. Woods, Black Struggle, Red Scare, Segregation and Anti-Communism in the South, 
police departments are going to be even more militarized. And you already have, you know, cities, states, and other, you know, towns, you know, basically trying to put ordinances and laws on the books stating that you can be charged with a crime for protesting. You can be persecuted for protesting, challenging, critiquing, all of that. So you people that are saying it doesn't affect me, yeah, the hell it does. And when I talk to these white allies, progressive liberals, and like I said on, you know, the last show, some of you are out here and you're working towards that. That's great. Wonderful. Good for you. But we also have a set of people who claim to be allies and claim to stand in solidarity with us. We ain't seen you at no march. We ain't seen you at no protest. Like I said, we're still waiting on that damn check to arrive that you put in the mail six months ago, right? And some of you can't do it for a number of reasons. I get that. But there are things that you can do. Fundraising. Even if you can only repost stuff on social media, that's fine. You know, if if you even can't do that, if you can check and call out your white relatives and friends or associates when they're making racist, homophobic, sexist, you know, et cetera type of comments, stop it. There are a lot of things that you can do. So, you know, again, some people physically cannot take part, you know, of these actions, in these actions. I get that. Trust me, I get it. But there are other ways that you can deal with this. But, you know, like I said, you know, you have all of these things happening. And the Southern Poverty Law Center has counted, you know, over 200 crimes or incidents across the United States since election you know, since the election in November 11th, I haven't even pulled up the stats from yesterday and by the end of the day today, but we already know that this is going to increase and it's going to get as bad as it was after September 11th, 9-11. So this is like a resurgence. You know, and some of the Trump supporters, you know, they're reporting being physically beaten and having graffiti painted on their cards and other things as well. So, you know, I just want to you know, kind of balance that out. But this is the thing. Some of those Trump supporters that have made these claims, they've, they've been debunked. You know, you had, you know, people saying that some black folks committed crimes because, you know, these people supported Trump. And they had to go back and report that they lied about that. So you need to understand, uh, you know, what was happening. It's also a lot of stuff happening at San Jose. I think that's San Jose University. This is around here somewhere. I'll pull it up. But, you know, what happened right after the election. But we've been reading issues with that particular, you know, university for a while. There's been some issues going on up there, you know, and these are babies at a school in which, the, you know, the oldest student is 12. And they're making these types of 
you know, graffiti and accusations and all of that. What the hell? You know, you get in Redding, California, people handing out deportation letters to students. You know, so what are we going to do? You know, you got people walking up to, you know, other people, brown people, and calling them terrorists. You got folks walking up to other people, calling them niggers, you know, homophobic slurs. What the hell is going on? But we live in a post-racial colorblind America. Really? And then what was so interesting was when we, black people, when we kept saying that that post-racial colorblind shit was bullshit, oh, you're just so negative. Why are you so angry? We, we still have racism because of you guys. If you would just stop talking about it, it would go away. If we stop talking about Trump, will he go away? That's not how it works. It's not that simple. You know, you got people being harassed on Facebook and Twitter. You know, you have people basically teaming up in mobs and and going to certain hashtags and harassing people on social media. In a number of different communities, like hell, I know some of that shit going on in the secular community. You got people threatening other people with weapons. Come on. You know, it was a teacher in Georgia, who, a Muslim woman, and she was told to go hang herself with her headscarf. And, you know, I'm just saying. You know, this shit is happening all across the country. You know, you get, you know, you're seeing the very worst in people. You know, very base natures coming out. You got folks saying, fuck your safe space. Fuck diversity. And this is why you have people like me making comments, you know, because I'm going to be doing a show talking about, you know, sitting on a diversity panel, you know, is not the same as social justice advocacy and work. And it's supposed to take place next Sunday, but it's not. We're ready to push that show back or even do it in the middle of the week, you know, because right now with everything that's happening, I think I may be increasing to two shows a week, but I really don't have that kind of time. And most of the time, I don't have that kind of energy. But I'll do the best that I can. But I know some of them are like, hell, we can't get you to do a regular show on Sundays. I got so much other stuff going on that sometimes I'll plan the show, then some other things come up. And, you know, I have to kind of shuffle some things around. But I'm going to have to get better at this. And I may just end up you know, creating these podcasts and just releasing them. So I'll record them privately and just release it. And then maybe I'll incorporate the links into the show description. So then you all can go and click on those and you can read and see what I'm talking about. 
But, you know, what I will say is kind of leading back into a tie it back to something that I said earlier about how you need to sit down and get your affairs in order if you're an activist or organizer or protester or what have you. Um, yeah, I had to have the talk with some people in my family this week. And, you know, we're always talking about parents, especially, you know, Black parents, having to sit down and have that talk with their Black children, especially their Black, you know, male children, right? But, you know, I had to tell the people that are close to me and my family, give out telephone numbers just in case, who knows what. But, you know, telling them that in the case, if I'm ever picked up for any reason, I did not commit suicide. And my family knows better than that. You know, and so it's just, it's it's unfortunate. You know, what's happening, you know, we should not have to sit down with our families and tell them that we did not commit suicide if we were incarcerated for just walking down the street with a sign in our hand. What is that? You know, what is that? What is that? You know? And so, you know, you're going to see a lot more anti-Semitic comments and memes you know, being passed around, you know, pictures of Blacks being shot, killed, gutted, hung, lynched, you know, and it's a bunch of issues happening up in Michigan. And I've told you guys before, Michigan is one of the most racist states, you know, in the United States. It really is. You got kids running around yelling, build the wall. And also, someone brought to my attention the other day about how they witnessed an argument or some statements made by Puerto Ricans stating that, you know, the Mexicans and the legal immigration and their their views on that. And I remember we did a show on colorism. And so there are issues of colorism even within the you know, Hispanic community, um, in other communities, the Asian community, across the board. You know, colonialism didn't just happen here in America. And you need to understand that. But, you know, I have friends that are Puerto Rican, I have friends that are Mexican. And, you know, one of the more interesting things that I heard from, you know, some Puerto Rican friends was they didn't like all of the immigration issues with the Mexicans and the Mexicans were coming out, coming over without doing it legally. And it's just really interesting, you know, when I hear some of those arguments. But what I find most interesting is when, you know, some of my Puerto Rican and and Mexican and, you know, Portuguese friends, I have friends of a lot of different persuasions when they tell me that they're white or they tell me stories of other people in the community, you know, in their particular communities, tell others that they're white. And one of the first questions I always ask is, 
Do you really believe that? Do you really, really, really think you're white? And, you know, <laughs> the answer is yes in most cases. And so it was just really interesting because I was talking to a friend who's a physician, white doctor. And, you know, he was like, what the hell happened Tuesday night? And so we got to talking about the issue. And basically, you know, I was telling him, you know, if you all shipped all the, you know, Asians, Native Americans, Black, Latinos, et cetera, et cetera, you know, if you all shipped all of us out of this country, let's just say, or you split the country up and we can have one half and you all take the other. I said, it would still be the same problem because the only true white people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and there is a hierarchy to whiteness. And at the very, very lowest rungs on the ladder are Irish people and Italian people from the southern part of Italy. The ones from the northern part of Italy, you know, they're a couple of rungs up, right? But, you you know, basically white people would start fighting with each other as to who's, you know, the most pure white person. And, <laughs> you know, and I know it may sound ridiculous to some of you, but it's true. And so, you know, we talk about that, you know, we talk about patriarchy and misogyny, which, you know, plagued that particular election. But I also brought up the fact that what we saw this past Tuesday night when Donald Trump was elected, what we saw was a renewing of the social contracts. Okay? And we talk about social contracts on this show. I'm going to look up this book that I want you all to get because I'm still in the process of, you know, trying to get through it myself. But basically, you know, what was going on is working class and poor white people wanted a new social contract, right? And within that particular social contract, you have um, you have basically people who once were privileged not receiving the same benefits that they had become accustomed to having, right? And so that's a problem. And you have a number of white people who, you know, basically, again, the honorary ethnic white thing there, and they wanted basically, you know, the money, you know, with the money and the jobs, you know, the economic security, all of those things, all of that has been threatened. Why? Because they're trying to basically you know, level the playing field in one respect or another. So when you're a person of privilege and entitlement, having to share even a little bit feels like oppression to you because you haven't had to do this. And you hear them talking about jobs for white men. You hear them talking about education and jobs and all of these things for their children and their grandchildren. And so all of these, you know, they play a major role. But, yeah, it's a renewal of a social contract. And so that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of these activities in the street when it comes to people of color being attacked and harassed and intimidated, so on and so forth. Anti-blackness is an industry, okay? 
fear is an industry. You need to understand that. Poverty is an industry, which, you know, ties into the class issue. But not only does it tie into the class issue, it ties into the race issue, too, which is why when you have a lot of white people coming up to you and saying, well, no, it's not about race. It's about class. It's about class for white people. It is about race and class for people of color. And when you try to explain that to them, it's like talking to a damn brick wall. And so, you know, it becomes really interesting. I'm looking for this book, y'all. And if you saw my Kindle or my um, little device thing here, you would understand why it's hard for me to find stuff. But, um, you know, that is what is happening here. And so it's a renewal of that social contract. And, you know, for those of you who are wanting to learn, I would say go and Google social contract, racism, America. You'll be surprised at, you know, how all of this comes to play. You know, one book that I have is Racism Without Racists. Now, that's a really good book. You know, I've read some of it. I haven't gotten through the whole thing, but that's one of them. And the book that I wanted to tell you guys about was called The Racial Contract. And it's written by Charles Mills, M-I-L-L-S. Again, that's Charles Mills. And the name of the book is The Racial Contract. Okay, so the racial contract, the social contract, it's the same thing. Well, no, not exactly. There are a lot of similarities. But go, go and read that. You need to pick that up and get a better understanding. And so, again, you know, you'll have white people coming up to you and saying, it's not about race, it's about class. It's about, it's about class with them. It's about race and class with us. And so when you get those people, tell them to go and read a couple of books like White Trash, a 400-year untold story of class in America. You know, that's one book they can read. You know, they can talk about the unspoken truth of our racial divide, white rage. And that was written by Carol Anderson, The Unspoken Truth of the Racial Divide, White Rage. And the book that I mentioned earlier, White Trash, that was written by Nancy Eisenberg. Again, Nancy Eisenberg. And there are a number of different books. And it will tell you how Black and Latino communities, you know, were underdeveloped on purpose. You know, if you go back and look at the Reconstruction, You'll see how that happened, but you'll also see how that happened with the New Deal, which is why I'm looking at what Donald Trump is telling, you know, the black community or the blacks about his New Deal for the black community. And what we need to watch out for is when they give you one thing, in many, many, most, many, 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 most, 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 most cases, they end up taking, you know, 14 things back. So you think you've made progress because they've given you A, B, and C, but you don't realize they just snatched D through Z away. So you have to be conscious of these things. You have to pay attention. You know, and this is a lot of things. There's another book, The Rage of a Privileged Class. Again, The Rage of a Privileged Class by Ellis Post, E-L-L-I-S, last name C-O-S-E. And so, you know, again, you know, what we're dealing with, you know, as, as far as 
capitalism and the structural system of racism in this country in regards to the crime bill and what Ronald Reagan did and how Bill Clinton just sealed the deal. You know, basically, they're just incarcerating the problem, incarcerating the crisis, if you will. And that's a book that you may want to read, too. And, you know, that's the name of the book, Incarcerating the Crisis, and how all of that has come to be, because you may want to look up um, a whole bunch of things, you know, in regards to what's happening um, in this country with the 13th Amendment, incarcerating people of color. And for those of you that are out there that kind of want to argue that point, they are incarcerating black women and girls at the same rate, if not more, as black men and boys. So we, we need to understand that. You know, Mark Lamont Hill wrote a book called Nobody. It's talking about the casualties of America's war on the vulnerable from Ferguson to Flint and beyond. And like I've told you guys, Ferguson is everywhere. Flint is everywhere. You know, so, you know, racism without the races, that was written by Eduardo Romilla Silva, but racism without races, you know, go read. You can read a lot of this online. You know, there were some PDFs out there as well, you know, and arm yourself. You know, when I say arm yourself, I'm talking about arming and empowering yourself with this history, with this knowledge. Because more than likely, you know, you're going to have people coming at you. And when they, when people come at me all sideways, you know, I used to get frustrated because I knew what I was thinking and what I was saying was right. But I didn't have all the information needed to support my argument. I'll just say, you guys, you need to find out. You need to go and you need to pay attention. You know, it's another book, you know, it's, it's a whole bunch. Go out there. Go out there, do some reading, find out what's happening and how this all came about. It's important. It's also important for you all to understand about the different movements in this country, in particular the black movements in this country. And they all pretty much started because of mistreatment by the police in the black community. As a matter of fact, you know, police chiefs, they, they some police chiefs, they signed this letter apologizing to the black community for the mistreatment of the black community through police powers. So, again, y'all go, go out and be needed. Go and look this up. You can Google every damn thing else. You can Google that as well. You know, so it's a trip. You know, I'm looking at some of the people who totally backed Donald Trump, and, you know, that was their right. You know, that was their prerogative, right? And you just need to go and and understand what's been happening, what's going on, why it's happening and why it's going on, you know, that'll clear up some of the confusion. But it's still a lot of learning to do. 
There's still a lot of teaching that needs to take place, but more than just teaching and, you know, um, pontificating on these things, action needs to take place. And so that's some of what we're doing on the back end on my side, you know, preparing for some of these things. For those of you who have been listening to my show for years, I told you all of this was getting ready to happen. You know, and I didn't even really get to the meat of this show. So guess what? Next Sunday is part two because there's so much that I need to go over. But before I could even get into the Bible and scripture being used to justify racism and slavery, I had to qualify this entire conversation about what we're seeing now, because I have to take away the argument that some white people put out there and they say, well, that was then, not now. Just like you have some white people saying, well, why are the blacks and the Mexicans and the Latinos and, you know, uh, the Native Americans and all of these people, including white women, you know, working class, poor whites that were not team Trump, they're saying, well, we don't understand why they're out there protesting. We didn't protest when Barack Obama was elected. That's a lie. There were protests happening all over the place. As a matter of fact, you know, some of them will say, well, not the millennials. They're more tolerant. They're more understanding. They're more open-minded. Bullshit. You know, on the campus of Ole Miss, that's University of Mississippi, for those of you who do not know, Ole Miss is one of the, you know, one of the, um, Ivy Leagues of the South, very, very respected institution, and one of the best law schools in the country. And so, you know, they rioted when Barack Obama was reelected, you know, and that wasn't the only place. I want you to go and look this up, claiming about folks basically creating pinatas of Donald Trump and attacking it. They were doing the same thing to Barack Obama. You know, they were it's just as interesting on how some of us have the attention span of a gnat, or either they're just basically trying to pull Jedi mind tricks on you and say that never happened. Even when we have proof and it's on video, don't believe your lying eyes, <laughs> you know? So I'm telling you, you know, um, there's a woman in Minnesota, an Asian woman, and she said that she was called names. And the Trump supporter, you know, grabbed her arm. And then she was handcuffed by the police. When the, when the police responded, she was the one handcuffed. Just the police saying someone breaking into our house. You know, if the robbers are white, the black person is going to get arrested because they automatically assume that we're the criminals. That feeds into the myth of black criminality. I don't know what else to say. Right now, you know, I have so much more material that, you know, that we need to talk about. You know, it's, it's, it's horrible. You got people painting swastikas, you know, scribbling the word Trump. Come on. 
the hell is really happening? And like I said, it's been a festering infection that's been there. He just ripped the scab off of it. And to be honest with you, I'm glad that it's coming to the forefront, going to force us to have to have this conversation about race and also about sexism. Because some of Donald Trump's views on women, you know, it's going to force us to have a conversation about homophobia and a number of other things. And so, you know, you got people defacing property saying, make America white again, right? And that happened in New York. You know, it's this one Muslim woman who says she got on a bus in Queens. And, you know, a white couple tried to pull her hijab off, saying that it was a disgusting piece of cloth. And even before this happened, you know, some of the Muslim women would walk around and white women, white people would say to them, well, you know, you don't have to wear that anymore, right? As though they were being forced to wear it. Yeah, folks choking other people. People running around in their pickup trucks, waving the Confederate flag. And, you know, you have reports of, you know, from Trump supporters saying things are happening to them, but most of them have been debunked. You know, you got people saying black lives don't matter. Across the country, you got folks shooting other people in, in, let me see, where is this, Oregon? You know, there were 25 protesters that were arrested. You know, somebody was out there shooting during one of the anti-Trump protests. Of course, they're trying to say it was gang-related. So... Like I said, this is happening all across the country to a number of different people. And there are people walking around that are absolutely terrified. Home of the free, but land of the free, home of the brave. How does that work? You know, a Saudi student was attacked in Wisconsin and he died from his injuries. What was his name? Hussein Syed Al-Nadi. And it was a white guy who attacked him outside of a pizza restaurant. So what say you? You know, you can't say that the millennials are not, you know, are not taking place. You know, the millennials are not you know, races or as racist as their parents and grandparents. Yes, they are. You know, racism is learned. Racism is learned. So, you know, I'll post a couple of these articles um, a little later when I get back, but these protests have just really begun. And they're happening all across the country. 
and it's not going to stop anytime soon. So we need to be ready for that. You know, they're making America great again. They're making it white again. That's what they want. So I just want you guys to pay attention to what's happening. So, you know, next week, next Sunday, we'll talk about, I'll finally get into the Christian aspect of it and white Christians, you know, white Christians, how they put their race and their culture above their faith. And we've been talking about this for a while. And like I said, Black Christians, you're not off the hook. And you know what? I'll just, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about a little bit of that today. You know, we have about five, six minutes left before the show ends. But, you know, let's 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 talk a little bit. Because as I said earlier, I don't understand how you can sit there and talk about abortion, talk about marriage equality, talk about LGBTQ, just a number of issues that I won't say it shouldn't make a difference to you. Because who am I to tell you what should or should not make a difference to you or how, you know, whatever, you know, how you should put that in a hierarchy, which one is more important or most important or least important. That's for you to determine. But what I do know is you pick up a lot of these talking points from these white evangelicals and these white Southern Baptists, you know, but a lot of black churches, black pastors and ministers, they are scared or reluctant, extremely reluctant to talk about race and racism. You know, there was one pastor, Frederick Price, you know, Crenshaw Christian Center in Los Angeles, Pepperdine, um, California, Los Angeles, Crenshaw area there, right? And the reason why I said Pepperdine is because he bought the old Pepperdine University campus. And so um, he did a series on race. And a lot of his minister friends turned turned on him. He lost quite a few members, you know, talking about racism within, you know, the religious community. And this is one of the reasons why you do not see a lot of black ministers talking about race. You know, and again, you've had some of these white ministers giving them scriptures saying that basically they should not, or any or, or any political issues in the, you know in a lot of regards, because you know they should be focused on spreading the gospel, the good news. And in some churches, you know, some of the pastors have become more political. In Chicago, we have um, James Meeks in you know, his church, and Corey, what's Corey's last name? Um, in his church, and they backed the Republican governor, Browner, in Illinois, and many of them were backing uh, Donald Trump. And we know Paula White backed Donald Trump. Paula White is a white minister 
that is pastoring over a predominantly black congregation. And so these ministers, these pastors have a lot of influence their parishioners. But, you know, many of their parishioners, like I said, you know, many of them don't pay them halfway any attention when it comes to certain matters. However, Donald Trump did get 8% of the black vote, which was surprising to a number of people. And that's not to say, you know, again, you know, the black community, you know, you have a, a lot of different people. You know, we're not a monolith. And so that needs to be understood as well. And, you know, there are a lot of black Republicans, conservatives. I used to be one. I consider myself an independent now. And to be honest with you, I didn't like any of the four candidates. You know, at first, I kind of was like, okay, well, maybe, and, you know, at one point, initially, I was like, well, I think we need to, you know, back Hillary. But after the way she treated, you know, the Black Lives Matter activists, after she defended the crime bill, and, you know, the super predator comments, and she defended that. And how she, you know, was kind of condescending to a number of people, minorities, that tried to talk to her. I was like, I can't do it. Jill Stein, in her portfolio, her investment portfolio, she's invested in some companies that are the total antithesis or the antipathy of what she claims to be. And, and the libertarian candidate, you know, we all know how I feel about libertarians. You know, and it's not as though he was the brightest crayon in the box. So, <laughs> you know, we need to, you know, look at all of this. It's time to rethink everything. It's time to revisit everything. But we are at a point in this country, especially since people of color are the majority. We're already the majority, which is why they're adding, you know, others, some Hispanics and Latinos to the white Venn diagram. But we have an opportunity to introduce a legitimate third party. And so we need to talk about that. We also need to talk about how pressure needs to be put on this new administration coming into all, period. So, again, I'm getting ready to round this up. This is part one. Part two next week, I can't give y'all a show time. Forgive me. You know, I may do it live. I may not. But, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for inboxing, emails, all of that. I got to get better at responding to these things. So, as I stated, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you. Once again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. All right, guys, you all have a great Sunday. Take care.